This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. Self-publishing used to be a dirty word. The thought was that if you self-published, then your writing wasn't good enough for a traditional publisher and thus not good at all. But times have changed. The majority of published books are self-published and they're good books, books that sell remarkably well, in fact. Many authors prefer to self-publish because it gives them more control over their rights and gives them a higher margin per book. While you may initially think you want to publish with a traditional publisher, you may think differently after today's interview with Stephen Spots, the president of Book Baby, the nation's leading self-publishing services company. Today, Stephen is here to shed some light on the self-publishing industry, specifically dispelling some of the myths, as well as helping us understand the cornerstones of successfully self-publishing your next book. Welcome, Stephen. We are so glad you joined us today. And- Thank you, Melissa and Dave. Pleased to be here. All right, before we get started asking you these bold questions that you are going to have such brilliant insight into, Dave and I are going to talk about an area where we have made progress. And Dave, I'll start, um, if that's all right with you. I think you usually start, but I think I'll start this week. Good, 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 good. This week on my my Instagram platform, which I am always working on for my side hustle, I decided to do a tutorial on vignetting and Somebody had asked me, can you give me some tips? And I'm like, does anybody else really want to know this? And there was a lot of response. So I just started to give some tips and it's been really well received and it's really helped me put into language my my thought process, which isn't something that I, I have done before because it's intuitive and to actually go through and think through how I approach using my vintage items in vignetting is really a good thing. And I actually use storytelling to help do that, where you need a hero, you need a setting, you need a cast of characters, and you need a little tension. So it was really fun for me to kind of meld my love of um, storytelling and um, vintage vignetting. How about you, Dave? Where did you make progress this week? Well, before I before I go into me, so I think you should do a workshop, like a live workshop on that. That would be really helpful. I may. I've got to master the videoing. Yeah. I get it. But that would, that's just a great, and it's such a niche little topic. So I yeah. love it. All right. So your progress, Dave. So mine is, is really mundane. It's sleep. In the last three weeks, I've been to Montana to fly fish for a week. And when my friend and I go, we fish so hard. We're not like most fly fishers. When they go to Montana, they hire a guide or they sit in a, an expensive lodge. We both have lived in Montana, so we know the rivers, and so we're we're always wade fishing. We rarely even uh, uh, drift. Uh, we're generally always wade fishing. So we get up really early. And then last week, I was in North Dakota. My mom had surgery. She's 87 years old. And then we also went out to help my dad with his final deer hunt. So my dad didn't want to, if he shot a deer, didn't want to put it in the back of his beautiful new Honda Pilot. So that <laughs> was his reason for not going this year. We said, you know, you're 87 years old. Let's make this the last one and I'll bring my truck. You can throw it in the back of our truck. So he did not end up shooting a deer. So, but anyway, anytime you do these, you're up early. I mean, stinking early. So I came back after two vacations, really tired, kind of tired. So anyway, I'm feeling good. 
last few days I've gotten some rest. So it's awesome. I always think that vacations, you need a vacation from vacations because you always go nonstop, nonstop. And then it's like, oh, now I can be home and sleep. Well, let's turn our interview to Stephen Spots, the president of Book Baby. Stephen, we would just love for you to help us understand in simple terms what Book Baby is and how it came to be, because it has an interesting history. So what is Book Baby? So we're not a publisher. We, you know, we, we, we do a lot of things that publishers do, but we're a self-published service provider, Melissa, as you correctly pointed out. We give every bit of tool, every bit of advice, every bit of access to the marketplace that an author needs, but we never take control of the book. You know, it's your project. You're the contractor. We help you out with the subcontractor. We're the roofer. We're the plumber. We, we, we get you a book out onto the marketplace, but you never lose control of that. And, and that's, that's really an important thing. Creative control, financial control, legal control. You know, it's really important to, that uh, although we have a, a 25-page term of service because our lawyer insists upon it, I tell people, <laughs> he said in 10 words, you own everything. We own nothing. Have a nice day. That's it. Period. You know, <laughs> that's exactly how we operate. We noticed that Amazon recently started publishing hardcovers. Is is that something that you think we're going to see more of in these on-demand settings? And is that something that you do currently or are going to be moving towards? We have, we have always done hardcover. In fact, we were the we were the only company until Amazon decided to start doing it to do print on demand in hardcover. It's not that difficult. I'm surprised that they they haven't done it until now. You have to have the right 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 machines. People love the heirloom value of it, and we see we see more authors now saying, "Okay, I'm going to buy three products from you. I'm going to buy eBooks. I'm going to buy hardcover books for maybe just." You know, maybe these are the special readers that you want to, you want to autograph that. You want to have that as something special, even packaged differently. And then you have your soft cover books as well. So you know, it's just a product extension. Not surprised at all that Amazon is doing it. And, and I welcome this. So let's, come on, anything you can tactile and touch and feel and hand down for generations as hardcovers can be, can be doing easier than soft cover, I'm all for. Will you be getting into audio for Audible as well? Is that some area that you're going to be expanding to? Or The economics has have still have been such a barrier. I mean, to really do a quality audio book, you have to have a great voice. Right now, you have to have a great voice. You have to have a great setup. And it takes a long time to really do. Audible, you know, Amazon's um, uh, uh, audiobook division have very high standards. And I applaud them for that. They won't take you know, some scratchy, grainy type of spoken word book. However, we have been talking to companies who, while artificial intelligence, I sort of kind of, as an old schooler, I'm a little bit of mm, kind of push back on it. I heard some samples the other day that had such inflection that they, they played five of them and three of them were you know, artificial intelligence and two of them were spoken by real live people. I couldn't tell them apart. Oh wow, wow! <laughs> One of these companies' process is they they do the they do the full AI, but then they have two people listen to it and add little inflections or maybe tonal things. So it's coming. All right. As soon as we find a solution where I don't have to charge an author five thousand dollars to have this done, Book Baby will offer it. 
look at this space in one year from now. And I predict we're going to have that service. Oh, that's exciting. Well, it will be another service that we can herald on your behalf. Before we get into self-publishing in specific, I was wondering if you could help us and our listeners understand the difference between self-publishing and hybrid publishing. Do you have a great way to help our audience understand the difference? So, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's funny, I was talking to somebody just the other day, and their view of hybrid publishing was an entirely different view. So here's how I, here's how I see the, the subject of hybrid publishing. And we have many authors who are in this category that they are a very prolific author, usually, and, but they write over different genres. So for us, we call a hybrid author someone who is maybe established in, uh, with a traditional publisher in doing, I'll just say, historical fiction. And they have an established run of historical fiction, and they still use that traditional publisher for those kinds of books. But their side hustle, to use your words before, yeah, yeah. and more than a hustle is they love to write romance. And they probably do it under a pen name different <laughs> from their original. And they want to try something different. First of all, they like the control of doing it themselves. B, they really don't want to have the constraints of the traditional author's contracts with them. C, they want to try this thing that's self-publishing. What is that? All my friends are telling me about it. So we have thousands of authors who, how we view hybrid publishing is they have a great track record and a great, a wonderful story going with their traditional publisher doing their daytime job, if you will. We work with them on other projects. Now, again, that's kind of a real segmented one. We have many authors who say, you know, I'm going to do my textbooks with whichever traditional publisher, but now I'm going to do my workbooks with you or my companion pieces with you. And as part of this, this, you know, this, this great use of content. You know, some of our most successful authors, they have a book and then they develop it into a textbook and then they develop it into a speaker series. And then they have, you know, workbooks from that. And then, oh, it's a web platform. And then they have webinar. I mean, it's a great way where the book is in the middle of this. And then they have many things orbiting around it. So we view hybrid publishing as just someone who wants to take advantage of of different ways to go out into the marketplace. But you, you ask 10 authors, and I think each one of them is going to have maybe a slightly different you know, definition of what they view hybrid. To us, it's, it's mixing their traditional work, which we say, fantastic, go get them, and we'll help you with any tips we can. And then if you, if you want us for other kinds of projects and help, we are here for you. That is so interesting. So let, you, let me give you my understanding based on conversations, and, and this apparently it could be clearly wrong. So my understanding is you have the traditional published. I've published with HarperCollins, so I know that road. I've also published my fly fishing book myself, right, with our own imprint. We did an interview with an author who is in the area of business. So he used a publisher out of Minneapolis. They gave him an editor. They also gave him, when he launches the book, he's part of this community, people do reviews of his book. So it's almost like the difference, and I'll need you to explain this, because it's almost like the difference between an independent contractor that uses book baby services, there's this hybrid model where they, they almost are like a general contractor for your book. They don't, they don't control the, the, the rights and everything, but the, you pay them a fee. So one of the things they they did is they said, you know, you can pay up to $100,000 for PR, right? So they provide you so that it would provide 
the kind of the general contracting view of like a traditional publisher, like when you submit a manuscript, all of a sudden you got an editor and that acquisitions editor, and then you've got your line, you know, all the, all the thing, all the way to the, to the press. I don't know. Kind of a machine almost a whole yeah, process. Yeah. Built in. yeah. Right. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but yours is your definition is really helpful. I appreciate. Uh, yeah. It's really interesting. Okay. But, 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 but I think what, what you just described, it's exactly the, really the, the same in, in many ways. Because somebody coming to Book Baby, for instance, if you want to have your own editor, great. You have your own cover designer, wonderful. That's fantastic. Maybe you even want to distribute yourself onto Kindle as an ebook. No reason for it. We don't take a commission, but you can do that. So, in terms of hybrid, I see what your definition is: building, you know, your, your own individual publishing box, if you will. But but how we define it is. You've got your, your traditional publishing box, and then you've got your self-publishing sandbox. And yeah. you can make it any way, shape, or form. You can use all of our services. You can just use one. We have, we have many authors who just love our distribution of print-on-demand, but they do all the rest themselves because they like to tinker with it. Are you familiar with Scribe Media at all? They're out of, I think, Texas. They provide, you can do everything from, they'll ghostwrite your book. Let's say you're an executive, they'll, you know, it's over a hundred grand. I think by the time it's all done, they'll do a turnkey, take your idea, structure the book, ghostwrite the book, edit the book. You do the PR for you. It's, it's really expensive actually. So the one thing I've always thought about your services, book baby. In fact, we had a conversation, one of our coaching calls recently, we don't coach necessarily individual writers were part, we, you're part of a, we're really a membership community. And so in that membership, you can join our, our weekly coaching calls if you want. And in that, someone who was saying she's in business and she doesn't want to spend a hundred grand to publish her book, right? And so I said, well, I think you need to go to Book Baby because they have a list of services that you can select from. And it's a lot less than this kind of turnkey, you give us an idea and then Four months later, you get a book. So I, that's, that, that is another version, I guess, of, of, yeah. of hybrid publishing on some level. You, at the beginning of our, before we started recording this podcast, you talked about the intro that Melissa did, and I thought it was so great. But I want to go back to something you, you talked about, the common misperception of self-publishing. I realize that's now changing and has been changing. But I thought for our audience and we all feel insecure about our, 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 about our writing. And we all feel like at some point it's, it's worth, it's going to become a bestseller. And we also have this other fear that it's, you know, it's going to really suck, right? We kind of go, we swing between it's going to, you know, we're going to sell 2 billion copies and, and we're going to sell no copies. What are some of the common misperceptions of self-publishing? Like, like you get these people that call and they call Book Baby, what, what are they asking? And what are some of their misperceptions of, of self-publishing? So we do get a lot, and I mean, our clientele has shifted over the years. We, we do get more established authors, even you know, people who are well-equipped and, and understand the industry. But still, the vast majority of our calls are people who just literally open the conversation by saying, I've heard about this self-publishing thing. Is this the thing is Vanity Press? Am I going to have to pay a lot? You know? Who's ever going to see my book? Is my book going to be junky? Are you going to control the rights? All these things that, you know, have been, authors have been plagued for this. I mean, Vanity Press has been around for a zillion years. Talk a little bit about what a Vanity Press is. That's an old school phrase. It is, isn't it? So a Vanity Press really back in the olden days is 
the you know if if you say you um, you have a great idea for for a book and you've sent letters to agents and publishers and they say no a book about left-handed people who own ducks is really not going to be a great bestseller you better go publisher yourself so back in the olden days they would have what were called our vanity presses but i mean they wouldn't be caught, they wouldn't be named that but you could go there you could pay to have the book edited in some cases you could pay to have the book written and edited and then printed and then here would be you know 10,000 books arriving on your doorstep saying congratulations you're a published author now go out and sell them there was no mechanism into the marketplace you there was no way to get them into into bookstores and obviously way before the internet and and print on demand so yeah if you want if you want to have a, a a case of them in your in your car and you go around town to down to do meetings with duck owners about here's a book about left-handed duck owners that's great um but it really was sort of a, a dead end a, a lot of people fell victim to overpromising my god this book will be a bestseller just hand it out to every publishing house in new york and they'll and they'll take it you know a, a lot of charlatans kind of preyed upon authors and and that's been a sad occurrence so we we're very experienced in knowing that creative content people have have just had some opportunities for them to waste their money and we you know what one of the things i think melissa when when you contacted me is you saw one of the articles i wrote about kind of the cornerstones of self publishing so if i could actually take yeah. that from the vanity press all the negative to what we feel like are the four things where we think it's terribly important for self publishing you know and 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 the first thing is you got to have a team okay this is not a situation where you need to do it yourself and in fact you shouldn't do it yourself you should have editors you should have other people looking at your book for you you should have a cover designer your aunt who went to art school uh 40 years ago is not a cover designer all right you do need to know somebody how to get into bookstores and 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 use a professional team so that's that's one one of the, the really important ones even we always say that your aunt who graduated with an english degree also shouldn't be your line editor they may be <laughs> exactly right <laughs> they could be a good copy editor maybe but they shouldn't be a line editor or a developmental editor which brings me to my second point you need a great product and what i mean product is you're right yes yes you should write a good book and you should write your best book and no book is perfect but you should make sure that you have great editing you have access to great designers and things like that so you go out with a great product the third thing is you've got to have access to the marketplace and that's where it's all about now right get into print on demand thank god the miracle print of digital printing allows that get into ebooks for the 25% of the people plus the 50% of toggle in between get be everywhere you possibly can yes you should be on amazon but a lot of our authors 25% of our authors are not from the united states so when when amazon is number 4 in germany or number 3 in italy they don't really care about amazon there they want to be in the top bookstores around the world so that's what a company like us and many others do by the way it's not a book thing but the fourth thing is and i think it's maybe maybe the biggest cornerstone is confidence and when i say confidence it maybe is not self confidence in yourself and your book but trust in the people that you're working with you work with a reputable company you check out their reviews on you know trust pilot and better business bureau if they have to be listed there 
and you ask other people, make sure who you're working with, you know, is really going to look out for you and the author. Is everything guaranteed? But maybe it is. I can't guarantee your book is going to sell, but I guarantee that every book that rolls off our press is going to be gorgeous and beautiful as the first one you, you did. So that's the kind of confidence we think is really important. So all four of those elements were really missing from the old vanity presses. And I think that as self-publishing companies have evolved, and really there are a lot of good reputable ones, I'm not going to say that we're the only one, be comfortable self-publishing. In fact, Feel empowered by self-publishing. You get to decide if the cover is going to be purple or red or blue or pink. <laughs> Your call. I started this um, interview in the introduction saying that self-publishing used to be a dirty word. And I think it became a dirty word because you'd get these self-published books that did have so many errors in them, right? And it hadn't gone through that refining process that you talked about with the product. And so I love what you're saying about being confident in the process and you get confidence by working with a team that is professional and that you can trust. So I, I love that point so much, Stephen. Thanks for sharing it. Each time an author does a book, and we, and we, of course, we as a business, a for-profit business, we hope they have more than one book in them. But even if by book five, all right, and they're doing well with us, we also teach them how to do this too. And we give them resources. And every publish they do with us they learn so much more about it. It, it makes it easier for, for them. It it, quite frankly, it makes it easier for us too because there are fewer questions they ask. But you know, by book three or four, they might feel like, you know what? Maybe I can do some of this and maybe save some money or, or whatever. Or they might like it. They might like the aspect of dealing directly with Amazon and things like that. And we wish them well. 50% of the people who work for me, they've either published a book or they're writing a book. And I, we encourage people to write books and to publish. And or they're speakers or they're comedians, you know, or they're musicians. And so they understand it. And you're really talking to like-minded souls who aren't some commission-based telemarketing firm, you know, out, out in, in, the, in the Philippines. These are real life people who, who love books. So this leads to a question about success. I'm sure that you get lots of questions at your call center about how many copies can I expect to sell? And we get that question all the time ourselves, and it really is dependent, obviously, on so many things, content, the idea, your platform, how much effort you're putting into it, how much money you're putting into it. But what, on average, would you say is a successful number of books? Do you have a number in mind? Or what do you tell people when they say, how should I measure success? How do you help them frame or measure success? So we have clients coming to us with all kinds. They have some preset measures of what they feel like being successful. And it could range from, I'm, I'm publishing this book in a memoriam. It's memorial, it happens to be um, Veterans Day. I'm publishing this book just for the fact that I want to put my stories out of my unit in Vietnam or Korea. And they know their, their publishing base, you know, their, their readership is going to be in the hundreds or, or even less. And that's great. Others have great visions. Before I get to that question, though, is we empower them and tell them, okay, if you have lofty goals, you have it within you to make those numbers. And we, and we have started really emphasizing this, and especially the last two months, we've been hounding people about it. The pre-sale period, all right? It's all about the pre-sale. And so don't hand us a book on November 10th and expect us to get it up on Amazon and for you to get any sales going before the holidays. Hand us this book in August, all right? We'll take from August to September 
to do cover design, whatever you need to. And then you've got that big, long pre-sale period. And we've worked with Amazon for 25 years now, music and publishing. We get them. We know the right people. We know how it works. I'm not going to reveal any secret sauce here, which they've, we've, they've talked about. But it is all about generating activity. So if you have, if your book is on pre-sale, you get people up to the Amazon page. They don't have to buy. But you get as many IP addresses going to the Amazon page. The Amazon algorithm looks at them and says, wow, there's a lot of people. And it's not just from the same four people every single day. It's 100 people. It's 500 people the next day. It's 1,000 the next day. Wow, they're looking at the book. Now, if they buy it, great. But as you know, they don't count the sales of each in, you know, of, of that big, big opening day. It's four today, it's 10 tomorrow. So you, you're not going to get any kind of thing in the rankings. But Amazon's algorithms are going to look at that and say, we're going to stock your book big time in warehouses. We're going to feature you on the web pages for searches to come up surreptitiously or other, other books suggested by. Everything you do in that 60 to 75-day period of tricking people to go to your site, all right? You do a book giveaway and say, name the fifth word in my author bio on Amazon, and I will give you a free ebook or whatever. And you get massive traffic there. And I tell you, your numbers will jump. And the people who follow our explicit instructions about pre-sale are the ones who are very happy and calling us in January and said, oh my God, I never knew I could do this. And the ones who didn't are the ones who call in January and say, why didn't my holiday sales go better? And we say, well, did you do this, 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 this? Oh, no, I didn't. I thought my mom would buy them all. No. <laughs> so, okay, so what is the number? Look, you know, it, it really is going to matter. And I, I don't mean, mean, mean to weasel out, but I mean, the number has gone up. You know, the self-publishing guy who used to be happy at 100, the expectations have gone up. Self-publishing customer who used to be happy to sell 100 is now not happy until he sells 1,000. And we do sell books in the hundreds and the thousands. Now, they've also kind of jumped a barrier already, all right? If you're putting your, your book up on free and Smashwords or, or Draft2Digital or Amazon for free, you haven't really invested a lot. And they probably don't have expectations. But they spent money with us. They spent time with us, right? They've invested themselves for a two, three, even four-month period while corrections are going in and you see proofs and this or that. So you know they're into it, all right? They have an expectation. And we meet it in terms of getting the book out there looking beautiful and in every bookstore. And so as we have evolved, so have the tastes and, you know, am I going to be in Kindle Unlimited or not? You know, and things like that. The questions are so much more intelligent to see them grow along with us. Something we did just introduce in the last two or three weeks, we haven't advertised it very much because we want to make sure it's working well. You know, people do Facebook ads, people do Instagram and things like that. We just started a service where we, we harness the Google ad network, but it doesn't go to 10 trillion sites. We were able to hone it down to about 2,000 sites of where we know book buyers go based on working with Google over the years. And you can, you can purchase an ad through us, and it appears in LA books section, the New York Times, and wherever online. The exposures have been great. 
the the amount of, of, of what we perceive, it's hard to link back to the actual sales, but we know that when those ads go live, they're hitting their Amazon pages, they're hitting their bookshop pages, our internal bookshop. It's really seeming to work well because again, we don't have it go out to um, you know, People Magazine's website. It's only going to, you know, those websites that we judge. And let's just say your fly fishing book, all right? We you we say. What sites do you want to have your book listed on? And we can add these in. And so as part of the feed, as long as you as we bid enough and your ad looks right, boom, it'll pop up there as well. What's the biggest mistake? And we can uh, wrap this up in the next couple of minutes. What's the biggest mistake that a first-time author makes after, after he or she has started the process? Is it not just following through what what any advice to somebody who has already started the process with you and you say hey you're going to get stuck here and it's not because of lack of services or something but I just want to give you a heads up here's how you get through it where's that place and what do you recommend to that author know exactly where that place is and it's so hard for us to cure this and that is okay let's say that you you've had your book let's say you had your cover design done or your book formatted or your book even edited by us, they won't sit there and go word by word with their proof. Okay. Oh, yes. And we even say, oh, look, for $99, and we and we we price it at $99. We actually take that dollars off later on. We're not shutterfly. Okay. And we you when this product used to be like lower price, like $39, people would come to us for shutterfly-like projects. We don't do that, we don't want that. So we've actually raised the price to $99 for a press proof. Oh, by the way, anytime anybody ever does books with us, we yank that off. But we just don't want Shutterfly orders. And what you get is within a couple of days, it's your final book. It is exactly how it's going to be printed, 10,000 copies from now. So they have a chance to actually see it. So some people have a hard time looking at a screen and going through it. No, I'll give you a physical copy. Look at it. Mark it up. Look at, go through it, and then call us, and we'll walk through the book with you. It's the people who don't do that and don't spend adequate time with their proof because, look, we're, we're all writers here. You can go through something and just, you've, you've looked at it a hundred times, and you blow right past the there that should be there, you know? Yeah. The it, it should have been it's, you know, and stupid stuff like that, and yeah. just taking the time and hand that proof copy to the the aunt who was the who was the line editor and say here you look at the book see what you find get a big marker out and then call us the next day or or whenever and we'll go page by page with you correction 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 done we always tell people to print out their their final draft um even yep. if you get a press copy like you offer a print copy because your eyes slow down they trick I, the screen you just you we we learn to skim and scan on screens and so you don't catch things so that's great nugget of advice we're so glad that you are you're echoing what we we have found to be true as well in closing can you tell us a big success story on your end do you have any stories that you're particularly proud of i think that'd be a really wonderful encouraging note to end on we do and it actually comes from some of the early early days of book baby there was a Swedish psychologist, a psychiatrist, and he, and he deals with children. And he, he wrote a book, and the book was called The Rabbit Wants You to Go to Sleep. 
And he thought this would be a wonderful book for parents to read to their kids to help them go to sleep. It had like a psalm, you know, had a nice parameter and somnolent and would make them go to sleep. So they, so they would read that. So he did it as an ebook, and he did it in Swedish. And we operate in many languages. Didn't sell very well. He would call our office in Portland at that time every two weeks and say, I'm not selling this book. I don't know why. And so we'd help him with things and offer tips and things like that. Um, have you done it in translation in other you know, languages? He did that. And then we, we, we looked at he, he was able to set where he was, he was selling this and said, wait a minute, this is not a children's book. This is a parenting book. Change your bicep code. So they cha we changed the bicep codes. Okay, it picked up. All right. Still kept at it, but he was so such a believer in the project. He kept calling us, and we said, "Okay, well, why don't you try this? How about some giveaways? Why don't you try print?" At that time, we weren't offering print, so we went to Create Space from Amazon and got printed books. Okay, that's fine, good. And then you know, he just said, oh, "I still believe in this. Well, why don't you write three or four other books? How about the Aardvark wants the kid to sleep, or the Salamander? No, no, it's this book. I believe in it." Okay, keep trying, keep trying. How about giveaways? How about talking to the media? Ding. That's the one that, that worked. Because back in, now it's about five, six years ago, I guess. He started sending out free ebooks and then printed books to media around the world. All right. And an editor of the Guardian newspaper in Britain apparently had a rotten child and got this book. And she used it. And the kid went to sleep. And the editor and the journalist said, oh, my God, I have got the greatest parenting book in the world. It's called The Rabbit Wants You to Sleep. Now, to be honest, the illustrations were hand done, not terribly wonderful, but the copy was really good. And, and it worked. She wrote about it. It was syndicated in 600 newspapers around the world. Like His sales went boom, just took off. We were sending him six-digit checks for many weeks. It hit New York Times bestseller list, which actually made the New York Times change their parameters of how they, how they regard self-published books. We were the ones who sort of nudged that in that. But yes, it was a fantastic story, and he made a lot of money from it. The upshot was that also uh, major publishing houses looked at this and said, hey, you know what? Let's sign you up. So he signed a seven-digit uh, advance. He wrote some more books. They didn't sell very well. Uh, <laughs> same formula, right? So what happens a year and a half ago? He ends his contract with the major publishers, and he starts to self-publish again. He's doing pretty well. I, I literally got goosebumps from that story. And I think what I resonated with was just this perseverance and this tenacity. And we interviewed a literary agent who said that authors make the mistake of sending their, their pitches to five literary agents. And she says, you should really be sending it to 120. You can't give up that soon. And so what I love about the story is that if you believe in your idea, if you believe in your, your writing and your book, then be tenacious and keep on pursuing it. And so I think that's hugely encouraging and just a wonderful testament to self-publishing. It's incredible. I love it. His perspiration, his inspiration, it really did pay off for him. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Stephen, today. Can people just go to bookbaby.com and find out more about your services? And Baby.com, and if you want to write and, and ask me personal questions, 
my, my email address can be easier. It's Stephen at bookbaby.com. Well, thank you so much. And we're turning now to our word of the episode and you used a wonderful word, <laughs> which was somnolent. Is that somnolent? Somnolent, which means that puts you to sleep, I think is how you used it, which, so you yeah. have a word for the episode today. I'm, I'm giving you credit. Always <laughs> not, not putting people to sleep. All right, Dave, I'm going to do my word of the episode. Oh, and this comes, one of my friends knows I love words. And so Webster's put out this new list of words that are so perfect, that have perfectly described something that nobody ever uses. So of course, I'm going to use it. And who knows if I'll ever use it, or if I do use it, nobody will know what I'm saying. So it's spelled S-O-L-I-V-A-G-A-N-T, and it's suivagent, and it's a solitary wanderer. And so I suppose when I go to flea markets hunting for for vintage stuff to resell, I'm I'm a suivagent. I don't like the company of others. I don't like to be held back by people. I like to wander by myself. So anyway, go look for that list of amazing underused words. It's a great list. What about you, Dave? No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. So it's salubigent. 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 That's why when I saw you at the DuPage uh, flea market a couple years ago, you ignored me. I know. Well, you were totally out of context, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) I love that word. That is a great word. I've honestly never heard it before, like many of your words. So I'm going to go and hang my head and feel uh, unliterary. Hey, so mine is one you've heard before, and I always like running across these because then I go, do I really know what that means? So this is mendacity or mendacious. So it has to do with untruthfulness characterized by lying or speaking falsehood or falsehoods. You know, you could argue the mendacious politician kept repeating the same mantra or story over and over again, right? That would be a a use of the word so mendacious or mendacity when would you use mendacity and when would you use mendacious i wonder mendacious is an is an adjective so it, it describes something so the mendacious politician mendacity is is a noun um, is so, mendacity yeah 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 so okay. um mendacious is really characterizing something obviously it would be a person right who who is untruthful All right, before we say goodbye to Stephen one last time, Dave, how about you tell our listeners what they can find on the Journey 66 website and what we offer? So Journey 66 is a membership community and we have different levels that you can join. And if you'd like to have a question about where you are in the early parts of of a book process, we have a little quiz. You jump on the homepage, take the quiz. You also get a activity sheet that helps you winnow your book thesis. So we talk a lot about uh, getting really, really clear on your book thesis and making sure it's narrow enough and sharp enough and you've winnowed it and, and it really creates a good hook for your, for your book. So it, just jump on the homepage, journey66.com. You'll see the quiz and, uh, and it'll get you started on or at least jumpstart your writing process. Excellent. Yeah, we'd love for you to do that. All right, Stephen, again, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure, Melissa and Dave. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, that's a wrap. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.